Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Victoria Ann Russell Walton is a two-time breast cancer survivor. She is a CEO, a breast cancer advocate, a motivational speaker, radio host, lifestyle coach, chronic disease instructor, and oncology patient navigator trainer. In other words, she is extremely busy. (laughs) Uh, Vicki, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited that we finally made this work. I don't even know where to start. So (laughs) take us back. So what got you started on this journey? So in 2007 was my first diagnosed breast cancer diagnosis, or should I say misdiagnosed? Um, They misdiagnosed me four times. And um, yeah, they were analyzing fatty tissue. They were never analyzing my uh, tumor. I felt the lump myself. I have a huge cancer uh, history when it comes to my family. And um, I know my family history when it comes to cancers. All my grandmothers had breast cancer and all my father's siblings have had a form of cancer. So I kind of knew what my odds were with receiving a cancer diagnosis. So I had to fight um, to get my last diagnosis. And if I had not fought, my chances of survival would not have been as great as they were. So Vicki, tell us a little bit more about discovering that lump. You know, were you doing a self-exam and what the next steps were? Sure. So I often do self-exams because of my family history. Mm-hmm. So in the shower, I did the walk and I felt it. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying, what in the world is that? The saying is, if you weren't born with it, it shouldn't be there. So when I felt that, I immediately called my doctor and I said, hey, there's something here. I want to get it checked out. Unfortunately, I did that on a Thursday or Friday. And then I had the weekend to ponder and wonder and stress and, you know, call everybody. What do you think? What do you think? You You know, so yeah, I know I was driving my sisters crazy, but um, I found the lump. And um, at that time, he wasn't my husband. I, I was talking to my fiance about it. And just really having moments of the what ifs. Hmm. And so when we found out, um, we did the test, we did the mammograms, and they said it's benign, get on with your life. And I said, no, it's not. I'm tired. There's puckering. Um, whenever Explain I. That. So, what is puckering? Tell us puckering more. Puckering is when you're getting the indentions in your breast, uh, it, oh. it's um, your nipple tucks in. And it's not normal. When you see things that are not normal and I know my body, I knew that there was a problem. And I'm God's riddling baby. So if I'm sitting still, I'm sick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay. So this is so yeah, I love what you said. You know your body. Okay, continue. This is great. 
Yeah. And as a person who has a strong family history of cancers and diabetes, I mean, let's face it, African-Americans, chronic diseases are our best friends for some reason. So I wanted to be as active as I possibly can and advocating for myself. Now, I went to my first appointment. They said benign. I said, not true. I went and had a second opinion. They said benign. I said, not true. I went to my third, my third appointment and I took the, the human resource um, director with me. And I told her, I said, Miss Rhonda, something's wrong with me. I, feel, I felt like I had heartburn, you know? And I said, why, why do I keep feeling like this? It was really weird. So I had to get the director of our HR department to make phone calls and go with me to demand another test. So we finally had the head guy come in. Uh, they put the uh, this uh, microscopic camera laser thing in my breast and he looked at it on the screen and he said, I'm sorry, it is cancer, you're right. I knew it was, you know, and I didn't ask for it. A lot of the religious, People will say, well, Vicki, you asked for it. You kept saying it was. No, I advocated for me. And I knew it was because of the family history, because of the side effects. I don't believe it. Right? I I don't do the hocus pocus. Let's use the science here. So... And what really made me mad was the doctor that, um, the oncologist that I was seeing on my third request, he told me to stop calling. I was interrupting his golf game. Oh, no. Yeah. And I, I, my mother said, I'm so proud that you didn't go to the office. I said, Mommy, I didn't feel well. It wasn't that I didn't want to go get him. It was a point that I was tired and I didn't feel well. That's the only reason God kept me from getting to that man because this would have been a different ministry other than the cancer ministry. Yeah. But he was... <laughs> He was so rude and his bedside manner was cold. And when he apologized, it was such a cold apology. You know, his apology was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, what? You know, keep, elaborate, keep going. You know, he had a God complex. Yeah, he had a God. Yeah, yeah. But if I had not advocated for me, I would not have been here. That journey started in March. I didn't get help until October. October? October. What did the HR director have to do with it? So can you explain, like maybe, sure. like, were, were you employed by a healthcare organization? No. Or I'm, I'm confused, so. No, so what happened was they kept denying me another test. They kept telling uh, me- Your insurance. Of, right. Got because it. Okay. The, because the results were benign, mm-hmm. they kept telling me, Mrs. Walton, there's nothing wrong with you. We've already done this twice. We're not doing it again. And I said, well, I demand to speak to the doctor. And when, you know, he relayed the message that I was interrupting his golf game, I was furious. And so I went to my HR department. I said, Ms. Rhonda, they won't do another test, but I know something is wrong with me. That lady got on that phone. And she, she lit so many fires. I mean, wow. the, my phone started ringing. We're so sorry. Come on in. You know, we're not going to send you back to Largo. They sent me to another specialist. And what happened was they had a specialist from another state come just to take care of me because they saw the mistakes that were made. So I didn't know my, an HR person would do that. That's amazing. Okay. 
Miss Rhonda, when I told her what I was going through, she said, oh no, we're not having that. She got on the phone and she wow. lit so many fires. They were calling and apologizing. I received flowers. And, but what I really, people said, well, Vicki, why didn't you sue? Well, in Prince George's County, you have to have a year's worth of damage. And I was shy a couple of months of a year. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't get compensated financially. And that, that it opened, this journey opened my eyes to so many things because you always say, well, why didn't that person sue? Or why did it take yeah. that person so long? Or why, you know, why didn't she fight? It's almost like they want you to give up and not fight. Of course. But see, but see I'm God's riddling baby. So they were, they were, yeah, they had their hands full with me. They had their hands full. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm just so excited by your story. The story is so powerful. Um, okay. So you finally get the right diagnosis. Yes. So mm -hmm. tell us like what were next steps? What did you do? What yeah. stage was it? It was stage two, uh, grade B. Okay. Um, and telling my mom was the hardest thing because of my father's history. That was, that was tough. My husband and my best friend at the time, we all went down there to tell my mom, this little four foot nine prayer warrior, you know, that her Ritalin baby was sick. And, you know, I, I, I love my mom's attitude. Her words were to me, two things. She said, well, whose report do you believe? Do you believe your physical doctor or your spiritual doctor? And I said, mommy, I believe my spiritual doctor. She said, okay, you've got five minutes to cry. And then that's it. Oh, I and love your mother. <laughs> Why not? She said, no, she said, this is going to turn into a journey for you. And she said, you're going to live through this and you're going to help so many people. She said, you're not even going back to your job. And I said, mom, I love my job. I'm going back to my job. And sure enough, when the time came, I did not go back. I started this cancer journey because I couldn't find any organizations to help me. I couldn't get people to respond to me. And I said, if I'm having these problems, yeah. I know my community is having these problems, but Daisy May, who's my mom, um, this little prayer warrior, okay. she, she prayed me through it. She spoke things to me that, that came to, to life and she spoke life into me. And she mailed love letters to me along with my sisters and my oh. husband. And I had a great support team, my nephew, Jonathan, um, who was babysitting me, as he says, you know, auntie, I babysat you through your journey. And, you know, I had all of this love surrounding me. And again, these love letters that surrounded me and my mother, she did, she spoke to me and she told me of these things that were going to happen. And they did. And I am just so thankful that I had a, a warrior mom who wouldn't allow me to get in the deep zone and stay there. Wow. That's what I appreciate about this journey. I had people that were pushing me. They wouldn't allow me to fall. And when I did fall, they would pick me up and remind me that they were standing behind me. So fall this way. Let us hold you back. Aww. So fall this way. Don't fall forward. Fall back. We got you. What did you have to do in terms of treatment? My <laughs> my treatments. Oh my gosh. I fell through every crack there was. Um, the anesthetic. So I had to have, of course, a biopsy. Mm -hmm. And then I had to um, get the staples put in me so they would, or the links put in me so they could see where the tumor was, uh, where they put this, they don't even give you anesthetic they, or any anesthesia. They put these um, pins in you so they know where the tumor is, but they don't numb you. So you feel, you know, them going in. So my surgery for the lymphectomy, I had a double, two lymphectomies, 
because we didn't get core samples for the first one. Um, and then my treatments were um, Herceptin, which was health. I'm sorry. That's and okay. then, no, no. And for people who don't know what that is, can you explain what that is? Her, Herceptin is a chemotherapy that is, you sign a waiver that says if you die, you won't hold them responsible. And most African-American women, as I was told, don't even make it a year's worth of receiving on a Herceptin treatment. Um, my lymphectomy stitches ripped open. Um, so the janitor, I lived in an apartment at that time, uh, found me outside in the parking lot who carried me back to my apartment, laid me on the couch and called the ambulance. I had people who surrounded me, uh, Jose, and he stayed with me and he said, I thought you were shot because there was blood and stuff everywhere. Oh, and so I, I, my treatment in Taxol, and then they call it the red devil, which is another chemotherapy. I'm telling you the cracks that I fell through were unbearable, but it's a blessing at the same time because they helped me help women. So when women say, Vicki, I'm about to do her septum, what can you expect? I don't tell them the horror side. That's the side we always share with cancer, right? We share all the horror stories. Everybody that died of cancer, um, you know, my fingernails fell off, my toenails fell off, my mouth turned black, my teeth cracked. I had a rash on the inside. I had constant diarrhea. I had blackouts. I, I don't tell them that side. I tell them you're going to have side effects, but you're going to make it. Hmm. You and don't Google it. Yeah, don't Google. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No Google diagnosis. Don't do that. Okay. Say your prayers and listen to your doctors, and you're going to be fine. And whatever symptoms you have, let's talk about it, and we'll deal with it. But I never like to tell them the symptoms that I have because that's not your reality. Right. That's right. Not that your was your experience. That, that's my testimony portfolio, not yours. Right. You don't get the same grace I have. All of our grace is different. So my journey with the chemotherapy and the Herceptin and the Nulasta shots and the radiation, you know, they expected me to burn. They said three, deg three degree burns, Vicki. Be expecting of that. So get your ointment and get your this. And I told my mom, I said, I'm going to have third degree burns. I don't, you know, I'm going to burn. And I had to do chemo. Life is not fair. My mother was like, shut it. Come here. She prayed over it. And do you know I didn't burn? All I had was a sunburn. That's it. My doctors kept saying, what are you using? You know, and I saw the other people with, with raw necks and raw chest. And it was, it was raw. I mean, red, blistery. And they said, that's not fair. And I said, well, call my mother. Call <laughs> <laughs> day to May. Tell her to lay hands. Okay, send prayers your way because that's what I'm doing. Yeah. How long was your treatment from the time Ooh. you started to the time? Like, like chemo and all of it. Like how long was it? 2007 to 2009. Okay. The radiation was the easiest part. But that chemotherapy and Herceptin was tough. It was tough. So I ended up eating baby food and um, learning about smoothies and drinking. So I did more drinking. I lost a lot of weight. That was the blessing to all of that. I lost a lot of weight, lost my stomach. You know, um, I turned very dark, but it, yeah, it was two, two and a half years journey. What yeah. was your uh, worst moment during that time? When it came, when they didn't get a, a clear core sample and telling mommy I had to have another surgery. That was a tough part, really? telling her, you know, that they want to make sure. And um, 
hearing the words we might, you know, when you wake up, your breasts might be gone. Now, the second time around, because I've had another one, uh, which was in 2008, I, I opted for a double mastectomy. I wish I was more knowledgeable then than I was now. But telling mom, you know, we're, we're going to have to go back and, and do it all over again. And I mean, she was, again, my little prayer warrior. She said, okay, well, let's do it again. She said, you're still here. You're still fighting. She said, you fight with everybody anyway, so you might as well fight with cancer. Let's go. But we got through it, just like she said. What was your best moment? Oh, there are a lot of best moments. Being in the hospital and sharing with others that this was not a death sentence and that this is something that we can all fight. I was never in my bed. Matter of fact, a couple of the ladies thought I worked there. Uh, <laughs> Because, and the nurses were always agitated with me because I was in somebody else's room talking. So my best moments were sharing the good news about cancer and the good news is that we're surviving. That's awesome. Yeah. And you said something a minute ago, um, and I know from the introduction that you're a two-time cancer survivor. Yes. So you go through all this treatment, you go through the Herceptum, you go through the, the chemo, the radiation. So it did come back. It did. So tell us about when it came back, sort of, you know, how that happened, how you realized it came back, um, and the decision to have that double mastectomy. Yeah. Same breast, same lump, in the wow. exact same spot. Really? Exact same spot. Wow. Amazing to me, because when I felt it, I said, not again. Not again. There's no way. I was sitting on the steps, and I called my husband. Uh, he was upstairs, and I said, Harv, I feel a lump and i'm scared and he said well it may not be and i said it's the same thing the puckering and i was ignoring it i won't lie so i made an appointment for the doctor and um they knew my and i told them when i called i said i know my body i know my history i need you to have a plan a b c d and f don't give me a cookie cutter excuse i need results and i need answers so uh, when we went in they they did a biopsy and uh, they called me that Tuesday and told me it was back. And not only was it back, but it mutated to triple negative. Really? Yeah. So wow. now I have to get knowledgeable about triple negative breast cancer. What is that? Right. You know, so I did the testing and I, you know, I did everything. And, you know, when I read the results, I said, well, I don't want, I don't want this. I want the one I had before, <laughs> you know, no, I want the same, I want the same cancer before. What do you mean to mutate it? So here we go again, and this time I opted for a double mastectomy because I don't want another recurrence and another, right. and I wish I'd known the 2007 of my options, but like they said, 2007, they didn't know what they know now. Right. So there's a lot of knowledge going on now and a lot of lessons learned, but it came back and um, I didn't want it to, but I said, okay, there's a lesson I didn't learn the first time. So what is it that this time that I need to do different that I didn't learn the first time? And um, so, you know, and people calling, you know, because you eat sugar. And I said, no, that's not it. I know girlfriends who've never eaten sugar, that never eaten meat, that don't drink sodas, right. that are Zumba fitness, that have stage four cancer. Dang, so, know. you know, the rhyme and reasons, it's just my time. So getting knowledgeable about this one, this time, I'm stronger this time, mentally, physically, spiritually, my backing is there. I've started two businesses now. It's in the genes to educate women and um, 
you know, I didn't want this journey, but it's my journey and I'm ready to fight. So let's go two times. What was the um, time sort of span between, you know, your final treatment the first time it's over, we're done. Yay. To yeah. the it coming back. Like what, what was sort of that period? years, 10 years. Oh, so it came back recently. Yeah. It came back in 2018. Oh, okay. So it came back very recently. Yeah. Oh, and I just hit the 10 year mark and I was excited and, and, you know, we're going to have this party and we're, you know, 10 wow. years, here we go. And here it is again. It's like, Hey, 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 uh, yeah. Party's not over. Party's not over. We're back. You know, and, and we bought some friends. Come on, triple negative. Come on. Here she is. <laughs> yeah. Party's not over. So, you, I mean, gosh, you think at the five year mark, you're really out of the woods. At least that's what yeah. they say, right? That's what they say. Yeah. But, you know, everybody has a journey and everyone's journey is different. And again, I, um, I didn't know anything about triple negative. So now, you know, I'm on the triple negative bandwagon and we're fighting and we're educating and we're, we're getting the people rallied together to understand cancer. With COVID, people are leaving this earth every day that don't have cancer diagnosis. And that's what we're trying to get people to understand. Just because you have cancer, it doesn't mean that it's a, it's a, it's a death diagnosis. Right. Because my mother taught me that. People leave this earth every day that don't have cancer. So this just means there's another journey and that you have something else you need to do in the name of cancer. So you have to look at it that way. What can I do to help my community, the world, the people around me? What, what does this diagnosis mean? I sure want to meet this mother of yours. <laughs> well, unfortunately, she left us about five years ago. No. No, but I have so many videotapes of us talking. She gave me Aww. her thoughts. I videotaped her on what her thoughts were me dealing with cancer. And she answered a lot of questions. And um, her words strengthened me. And her videotapes strengthened me every day. So I kind of prepared myself and my sisters. And I have all of her love letters she wrote to me and all of her voicemail messages of strength that she left for me. You know, she would call me, good morning, get up. This is the day the Lord has made. And I need you to be nice to everybody you come across. <laughs> so her thing was win a soul for God. And I listen to those messages and they remind me of who I am. I'm going to go back to triple negative. Um, oh. Said you learned a lot. So can you okay. share with us, um, with the people listening who may not have the medical knowledge that you have in layman's terms. What is triple negative? What does that mean exactly? So when you have triple negative, you, I, I did the testing. So I, I am confirmed for every cancer gene there is. Um, and when it comes to triple negative, that means I check off all the boxes of the cancers that are, are out there that's in my body. And I try to be very careful with this because when people hear triple negative, they say, oh my God, you're going to die. You know, I've even had somebody say, well, what are you going to do with your jewelry? And <gasps> no, no. I can, I can tell you some crazy stories. I, um, that is so rude. <laughs> it, it's, oh my gosh, it's beyond rude. It is. It's the craziest thing. You know, you got nice jewelry. What are you going to do with it? So it's like. Please uh, tell me this was not a friend. It was a family member. So, you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I've been in stores. I was in the Dollar Tree and I had a bald head and a mask on. And this woman I've never met before came up behind me and gave me this bear hug. 
And she said, my sister just died of cancer and I'm so sorry. I just needed to hug you because I know. And I said, uh, first of all, ew. Yeah. Uh, second of all, yeah, first never of all, you, you jerks. Yeah, yeah. Per personal boundaries. Yeah. And I said, you need to ask a person. I, I get it, but you need to ask someone because it really startled me. Oh, you know, sure. I'm like, am I being robbed? Uh, is she going <laughs> to knock me over? You know, I was tired and weak with a bald head, you know, so oh you're all kind of crazy stories. People run up to me in the grocery store. Is there something wrong with the grocery store? Why are you walking around with a mask on? And I said, sir, you'll kill me before I kill you. I'm going through cancer treatment. That's why I have the mask. And this was in 2008 right. um, before COVID. Right. So I've got a lot of crazy stories, but the, this, the cancer, triple negative, so this diagnosis lets you know that you carry these genes um, that have mutated in your body and you carry basically a luggage of all the cancer genes. Mm -hmm. And again, I, don't I want them to get a medical di diagnosis and definition from a doctor because right. when I say it, it scares them. So just know, know that you have a suitcase. Your suitcase has a lot of cancer genes in it um, and getting a genetic testing, be careful with that because that can hinder your insurance. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, life insurance coverage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, what do you think of this? I think it also can affect people's mindset because oh, yeah. uh, I know a young woman who, um, Canadian and, and part, and part of their healthcare system is if you want genetic testing very early on, yeah. you can get it. And, and because of her family's history, um, she did get medical testing or genetic testing. Um, I think at 18 or 19 years old. And so she knew that she yeah. was very likely to get, to get, um, to get breast cancer or um, cervical cancer because she has the BRCA gene. And I remember when I spoke to her, what exactly what she said, she goes, I spent my twenties waiting to get cancer. And wow. 30 years old. She got cancer. Wow. And I just thought Whoa. maybe there's a reason not to get genetic testing, you know, like maybe there's a reason because she waited to get it. Yeah. Wow. What a horrible story. And can I share this with you? So my, my, my nurse, she is from South Africa mm -hmm. and she bought her father over from South Africa and they knew her father was terminally ill with prostate cancer, but he didn't know it. So when they brought him over to America, they told they had a family meeting. No one tell Baba that he has terminally ill cancer. No one. So what happened was one of the cousins, he was at one of the cousins' house. Something happened. They had to take him to the emergency room. And the cousin didn't know. So when they took him to the emergency room, the doctors discovered the cancer, of course, right? Nice. And so the cousin is saying, Baba, you know, you, you're terminally ill. You have prostate cancer. You're going to die. And so the father never knew it. He was playing soccer and enjoying life and cooking and excited. And the minute they told him his entire mindset changed, mm -hmm. he wanted to go back to South Africa to die. He didn't, he said he wasn't hungry. They couldn't get him to get out of the bed. His entire mindset changed with those words. Mm -hmm. That's why they tell people to be careful of what you say. Yeah. Tire mindset. And guess what? When they took him back home, I think she said maybe 30 days later. Yeah. He died. And all that time he had been living with it, enjoying life to the fullest, just being silly and being Baba in her words. Yeah. And the minute they told him, 
It's that my, it is a mindset. If I had listened to everyone in 2007, I would have been dead in 2008. Yeah. You get, when people say I have breast cancer or I have cancer, what do you hear? Every death story in their family. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. We don't yeah. say, oh my God, you're going to kick butt. Oh my God, you're going to be great. You know, oh my God. Like my, my sister's friend said, where's your sister that had cancer? And she said, she's right there. No, no, no. The one that, the one that who died. Was, yeah, she's right there. She's no, right no, there. no. Remember the, the one, cause I was, I, I turned black. I was dark. I had no fingernails. My teeth cracked. My mouth was black. I had no hair. I did look like, I looked like a walt, walting skeleton. Right. And they said, no, no, the one, she said, uh, Vicky, would you come here? Yeah. And say, this lady. I was like, I'm right here. She said, oh my gosh, you didn't die. I know. No. And no, and you can't have my jewelry. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, um, I've had six family members who died, who've died from yeah. five different kinds of cancer, every side of my yeah. family. Um, and if you look me up, you, you know, the story with my sister, um, but my, my maternal aunt had breast cancer. And the first time I want to say she was in like her early sixties, but I, when I, and, and because of that, I was able to get a mammogram fairly early, like my first mammogram at the age of uh, 35, actually. And, um, but, but I always preface it by saying, but this is a woman who uh, was anorexic from a very young age, wow. whose idea of nutrition was coffee all day, <laughs> cigarettes all day. I mean, like wow. we were all shocked that she didn't get lung cancer and one biscuit. Like that was, that was what, she, that was um, her diet every day. Biscuit? We were shocked. One biscuit. That was it. Wow. We were shocked that she beat breast cancer the first time. Like we were all just sort of like, what? So when <laughs> it came so back, weird. yeah, we, we were shocked. When, so when it came back like more than 10 years later, um, it wasn't such a surprise and it definitely came back with a, with a vengeance. Um, and it, yeah. it spread to her, her bones her her lungs and her liver, but she didn't tell anyone. She didn't yeah. tell anyone it spread, it had come back, that she was dying. And it, I mean, it was, it was a really, really horrible story. It worked out ultimately in the end, but because she didn't tell anyone, um, you know, it was terrible. Basically, she ended up in a little county hospital um, where someone said directly to my face that they were going to put her in a nursing home. And meanwhile, she, every part of her body is attached to some kind of like hose or wire or something because oh, wow. they were going to um, milk Medicare for all it was worth. Someone said that oh my to my, gosh. yeah, someone said that to my face. What? And, but the problem was, is that my aunt didn't really have any family. She wasn't married. She didn't have children and she had never done a living will. And because of that, I tell people about that. I know. And because of that, that, you know, they were making decisions on her behalf. Again, ultimately it worked out at the, at the end and, and we made sure that she died peacefully, but she didn't tell anybody how sick she really was. That's, you know, that's that generation. My father's, mm -hmm. my father and all of those and his siblings, they all did the same thing. Really? They all knew and they didn't say anything. And, you know, I made a pact with my cousin that we wouldn't do that. If anything were to happen to us, we would share. But my cousin did the same thing to me. You know, he died of cancer and they kept it hush hush. And I kept calling him and what's going on and why won't you call me back? And it wasn't until the day he died that we got a phone call. And I said, well, what am I going to do with that? I can't talk oh. to 
You know, mm-hmm. but I find my I, I apologize to my husband all the time because he, you know, I tell people all the time, I tell all my business. And it's not that some people say, Vicky, you you're so conceited. I'm not conceited, I'm confident in my walk. And I'm telling you because I want you to understand of the alternatives and the advocacy you have to do for yourself. When I walk into the room, yes, I'm proud that I'm still here. I'm supposed to be dead now two times. I'm yeah. still here. You know, so I, I'm shocked one that I guess heaven isn't ready for me and hell was like, hell no, she ain't coming out of here. So I'm still here for a reason. So I tell people yeah. all the time, I'm not conceited, I'm confident. And you have to have that attitude that I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna share my story because somebody somewhere is sitting in a dark room. I know women that have committed suicide because they didn't wanna deal with it. I know women personally that had to make a decision between food, paying rent, and taking care of their children. And now we have this crazy law that you can euthanize yourself and give your family a check well, people hear that and they're thinking, okay, well, I can leave my family, you know, $20,000, $30,000. Your family, they don't want the money. They want you. Right. So we have to start sharing again the good news about cancer. We are surviving. Turn the lights on. Open the windows. Let the sunshine. When the sunshine comes in, it hits my cheek. That's a kiss from God. It's like, Mm -hmm. good morning, daughter. Let's go. And people need to understand that. That sunshine plays a huge role in your life. If you sit in a dark room, you'll have negative thoughts. You won't get off your butt. You'll cry all day. Get up. And if you don't want to help yourself, go do something for somebody else. I guarantee you it will make your heart feel good. Yeah, I I agree. Um, How do you look at your life differently now, Vicki, than before you ever got cancer? (laughs) Wow. I challenge myself to reach somebody almost every day that I've not reached before because to me, somebody needs me. So my life is not my life. It belongs to first God, then my family, and then the community. So I push myself. What can I do? Who can I help? Where can I go? Who can I talk to? What show can I get on? How can I yell the loudest? I look, let me share this with you. And my husband will know, and I promise I wouldn't do it anymore, but I have a pink couch. I used to put this pink Where couch. Where is the pink couch? I don't see oh, the, it. Oh, no, no, no. The pink couch is my setup for when we do our breast cancer parties. Got it. Okay, So cool. I, I have a pink couch, a pink podium, a pink bullhorn, a pink crown. I'm pinked out, right? Right. I would pull my couch out on the streets, sit on my couch and tell people, come over and talk to me. Come here, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about breast cancer. And because it breaks that myth of, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Oh, I don't want to share. Um, oh, I'm ashamed. And people will come and sit on the couch. Oh, girl, this is nice. Well, talk to me. Who do you know? <laughs> you know, my mother had him. Then the police would say, here she is again with this couch. And I used to tell them, look, don't write me a ticket. Just stand back here. Make sure, you know, nobody comes over to bother me. I'm only going to be here 30 minutes. I promise I'll put the couch up and I'm out of here. Or my husband would say, I know you are not out in the middle of the streets with that pink couch again. I was like, look, this is the last Saturday. I promise. I promise. So I started the pinky parties. But my pink couch 
was my way of us communicating and bringing the community together to talk, an open conversation, raw conversation. My only downside is I wasn't videotaping them. Oh, no. We, yeah, we were just Darn. having conversations. Yeah, we would take pictures, but we were having conversations on the couch. And I wanted to get started with that again, but here's COVID, right? Right. But I, I promised myself that I would live be happy. I have my downsides and I'll go to my husband. I'll tell my husband, you know, I need a hug or my son will look at me and he's like, mommy, mommy, come on, let's do something fun. You know, and I, let's go get some fresh air in our lungs. And he keeps me going too. And, and he's a character. He loves the camera as well, but he keeps me going. I always tell him, you know, he's, he's our surprise attack. So he's here for a reason, but I, I make sure that I reach something and I, do something for someone else. And that makes me feel awesome. And I don't put everything on social media because it's not your business what I do for certain people. It's for me. Right. That makes me feel good and it keeps me going. And the next day it's like, okay, what can I do? Who needs my help? How can I go? You know, let's talk about it. Let's have conversations. And people call me, hey, my girlfriend is going through breast cancer. Um, we can't get her out of the bed. Can you talk to her? Sure. So when she's ready, have her call me. Very important when that person's ready. Yeah. Very important. Um, so I want to just go back to something you just said, because I know, because we spoke before I hit the record button. Um, tell people what you mean by your surprise attack about your son. So my David is four years old and I'm 55. <laughs> and he is, yeah. He, we have a 22 year old and a four year old and he is my joy. He is, he came uh, to us at a time where, you know, I really, I was wondering, you know, it's like, where's, you know, where's our baby at? You know, where, what's going to happen? You know, where, where's, you know, we need something, we need another one. And, and um, he, he came and David, he's, he, I, I can't say enough about him. He's just, he's smart. He's intelligent. He loves to pull pranks. He loves to tell jokes. Um, even though I don't get them, I laugh because yeah. he's trying. He's a ball of energy. Um, he loves jumping in muddy puddles and he is just my surprise attack. And I thank God every day for July 2nd that he came into our lives. Oh, I love yeah. that. Oh, love that. Um, and she doesn't look 55 if you're listening and not watching. Like she doesn't look even like a day over 38. So I'll take that. Um, I will take that. And my birthday's in, I turn 55 in two weeks. Oh, happy yeah. early birthday. Thank you. Uh, thank you. What is the one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of your cancer journey? Like the moment you had felt that lump? What's the one thing you wish you'd known? There's so many things I wish I'd known. I wished I had known then my genetic makeup mm. because it would have made me realize um, the importance of the decisions I were about to make. Had I known then of my genetic makeup, I would have had a double my sex me then. Okay. I would have done it then. I was younger. Um, and at you know, that age you're invincible. Okay. They'll pluck it out and I'll get on with my life, you know, and I, I wish I sat down and read everything. And, you know, there was a huge family secret in my family about my great, great grandmother who had breast cancer and they uh, cut her breast off in 1902 and sent her home and she bled to death. <gasps> and yeah, that was the radical mastectomy, right? Is that what they called right. it back in the day? Mm -hmm. oh, 
Yep, and they sent her home with a couple of stitches. And uh, oh. in the morning, my uncles had to carry her body out to the road because the ambulance wouldn't come down this dirt road because it was raining. They didn't want to get stuck. And because she was an African-American, so my uncle and his teens had to carry her body. So when the siblings got up, they saw this blood trail leading to the road of their mother. Oh. Um, and that was the secret of why they didn't like going to the doctors and why they didn't trust doctors. But I didn't know it until my diagnosis. Mm. So family secrets is another thing, trying to get, unpeel this onion of the what, and it just explained so much. But had I known, I would have known, oh my God, my genetic makeup goes so far back. Right. I'm just thinking there's no one in the family other than me. And I started finding out, no, I had it. No, I had it. And it's like, I never heard. What? Right. You're not sharing. What? Yeah. So yeah. I tell all our business and I apologize, but somebody in the family needs to understand that we need to advocate harder for the women and men in the family and how strong the cancer gene is. Yeah. Oh, and I don't think you should apologize. Yeah. I, I think what you're doing is amazing. I, so if you can only do one thing, leads us perfectly to the next question. One thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? I would change the pre-diagnosis um, insurance that you have to fight with. I would change that clause because for some of us, we all have something wrong, diabetes or breast cancer or heart or whatever it is. And that clause keeps a lot of us from getting the care, the quality care that we really need. Um, and we don't know what's about to happen. And for those of us who have already been diagnosed, you know, we go through so much just trying to get covered for our families. I, I would definitely, and I, I assist with those grassroots organizations that are trying to make a difference when it comes to pre-diagnosis pre and those pre-diagnosis conditions. I hate that word. Yeah. Because people hear that and once they're not covered, it's like, well, I'm not going to get the help I need. And, you know, for a $12 pill, you have to pay $8,000. Who can afford that? So you pay right. a premium of like, like the lady I'm working with now. Her premium is $698 a month. Whew. But she still has to pay almost $7,000 in treatment. Well, she has a premium. Yeah. But because she has a pre-existing condition... She has to fight for all her medicine, her doctor's appointment. Who can afford that? Yeah. So then you say, well, here, you can have this insurance where we euthanize you like a dog and leave your family a check, and that will eliminate all your problems. Not true, because now your family's left with the burden of you left us. So I would change that, and yeah. I fight for that all the time. I, I remember years ago, I took a job that I didn't necessarily really want, but I took mm -hmm. it because I was going to get health insurance. And I yep. thought I was going to get health insurance for my sister. Um, and I was raising her, I custody of her. And if you know me, you know that story. And, yes. uh, and then I get the job. And <laughs> not only they didn't cover her because she wasn't my biological child, which was ridiculous. Yep. I was her legal yep. guardian. And then they didn't cover me because I had a pre-existing condition. Yeah. I had grave yeah. disease in my early twenties. Um, and they do look great. Yeah, thank you. And um, and and, it, and I was like, why am I here? Like, why? Yeah. Like that was the number one reason I decided to take this this sort of more stable job, if you will. Mm. It didn't pay well. It was all about right. benefits. 
Right. Um, and I ended up leaving. I, I was like, this is stupid. You're not yeah. covering me. You're not covering yeah. my sister. You're and stressing I have, me out. You're stressing me out. I have a commute, yeah. commute in Los Angeles. Eh, yeah. It's not worth it. All right. Are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? Let's go. All right. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Rolling Stones. Ooh, surprised me on that one. <laughs> uh, what is one word that best describes you? Firecracker. Oh, I love it. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Pass me not, oh gentle savior. What's the last meal you want to eat? Well, I, I'm going to have a fat girl moment and say chocolate, uh, German chocolate cake with uh, vanilla ice cream. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> wrong meal. with that. <laughs> That's my meal. Uh, last person you want to see? It would be a toss up between my husband and son. Last words you'll speak. Ooh, thank you. Um, and aside from Cancer U, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I also want you to tell people how to get in touch with you for your parties and what you do. Support group. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs it. Uh, in my community, in the Black African-American community, they say getting help is a sign of weakness or something's wrong with you. That is not true. Mm -hmm. um, you need to talk to someone other than yourself. And talking to Jesus is great, but he put people on this earth to help you. So let them help you. And there's nothing wrong with a support group. Find the, the best fit for you and go there and get the help you need. Do not sit in a corner feeling like you have to be strong. That's why you have family. That's why you have these support groups and ministries. And that's why they're here. They're here to help you. So get it. And if people want to get in touch with you personally, Vicki, how can they do that? Call me 301-442-5105. I, that is my personal cell phone number. Everybody in the United States and globally, they have it, they use it. And I want you to use it as well. That is amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, I have to say if 10% of cancer survivors were like you, if they had your energy and your compassion and your dedication um, to really teach people how to advocate for themselves, um, which is what I firmly believe in too, I think that we could completely conquer cancer. Totally. Wow. I wow. really Thank do. You. You're I welcome. You cry. Oh, <laughs> oh no, I'm serious. Well, wow, we, we need to come together. We do. We do. And we don't. And we don't because I we're know. so afraid we're going to be judged. Like when I had my double mastectomy, it took everything I had. And I went to Walmart and the manager walked over to me and she said, you look fabulous. I was so nervous. It took me an hour to go inside Walmart. I was in the parking lot because I kept saying, they're going to look, they're going to notice. They're going to not. She said, you, you look fabulous. And she gave me a hug and she, she knew. And she said, I'm so glad to see you. She had no idea how much I needed that. I needed to, to hear that I looked normal. I yeah. needed that. And God put people, they call God winks in your life. And if we don't start supporting each other, we need to do that. We yeah. need to you know, when, when I hear someone doesn't have groceries, I put a box of food on the porch, ring the doorbell and run like I'm 12 back to my, <laughs> you know, and toot the horn. You're welcome, you know, and keep going. You don't have to use social media. You don't have to tell everybody. My husband doesn't even know half the stuff I do. Well, he will now, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that person needs you. 
and you don't have, if you know they need it, just do it and go. You don't have to stay for them to say, oh my God, bless you. We needed it. No, when David, when David grows out of his clothes, I pack it up and I do an all call. Who needs something? Here's his shoes. Here's his pants. Here's his toys. If the community would take care of each other, let me, we call these daisyism. My mother, Daisy May. This is a daisyism. If you have lettuce and I have tomatoes, my husband has cucumbers, my neighbor has onions, you know what we have? A salad. Yeah. Let's come together and put it together and we can all eat. Yeah. That's how we need to be. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally yeah. agree. Vicki, thank you so much for thank sharing you for your story. Me. Oh, are you kidding? It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.